From the magnificent Midwest, this is the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. This program is brought to you in part by Let's Get Real, where forensic accountant Tiffany Couch uses her financial skills to shine the light on the real issues we all face every day. If you would like to make decisions based on facts rather than on rhetoric and cultural pressures, go to letsgetreallife.com, a place where you can find tools to improve your communication skills and to increase your connection to humanity. That's letsgetreallife.com. Today on the show, we're going to talk with Dr. James Dobson about the breakdown of the family and in particular about the differences between boys and girls. But first, a few quick announcements. If you have not been over to SuzanneVenker.com for a while, you need to. I have a brand new homepage as well as a new shop page where at the moment you'll find my new ebook, How to Be a Wife, but there will also be more ebooks coming. And the audio version of How to Be a Wife is now complete and it will be available within the next week. I know this is a big deal for some of you because I hear a lot from people about wanting audiobooks. Um, you know, it just goes with the times that we live in today where it's just easier to listen than it is to read sometimes. So I'm so excited to have that for you. So be on the lookout for that. Also, don't forget to become a supporter of The Suzanne Banker Show. Just go to thesuzannebankershow.com and scroll down until you see the Become a Patron button where you'll find four very economical levels as well as free gifts just for signing up. And if you have a business you want to promote, there's even an option for that. And speaking of supporters, a quick shout out to Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really, really appreciate the support. I think anyone who listens to this program knows that the breakdown of the family has been and continues to be the greatest problem this country faces. When you look at almost every other issue, whether it's violence, promiscuity, truancy, drugs, divorce, even anxiety, it almost always go back, it almost always goes back to the beginning. How our children are raised. This is a very delicate and controversial topic, but one that can only be ignored at our peril. So when I decided to do this episode, I could think of no one better to discuss it with me than Dr. James Dobson, who has spent his life dedicated to this issue. Dr. Dobson is an author and psychologist, as well as the founder and president of Family Talk. And prior to that, he was the founder of Focus on the Family. Dr. Dobson has been active in governmental affairs and has advised five U.S. presidents on family matters, and in 2008 was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame. I'm so excited to have him here with me today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dobson. Suzanne, I am delighted to be on your program. I've been following your career, the things you write, the things you do, and I'm a fan of yours. Well, so am I of you. And it's been, let's tell people how we originally met. It's kind of an interesting story. It was back in, I think, 2012, somewhere around there. And I, I think it was, I think it was 2011, but you came here to my studio uh, called Family Talk at that time. And you were with uh, your aunt, Phyllis Schlafly. And she is one of my dearest heroes. I just miss her. She went on to be with the Lord not long ago. And, uh, and the two of you are here, and you talked about your book, The Flip Side of Feminism, and uh, you did a great job, and we're going to re-air that, even though it was all those years ago. 
Well, that's wonderful. I appreciate that. It's definitely not a topic that has gone away, has it? (laughs) I'm afraid it's not. And its influence is just as destructive as it was then. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. So we're going to talk specifically, of course, today about raising boys in a culture that's very hostile to men and masculinity. And, and my listeners are going to be very excited to to hear what you have to say about that, because it's so timely. And there are parents who are literally at a loss as to how to make their sons feel as worthy and as um, valued in this society as their daughters, which is a topic that is literally never discussed. So I wanted to have you on. Mm. I couldn't think of anybody who is willing to tell the truth about that topic and about what's happened with the family without worrying about who they're going to offend or making sure they say it right, you know, uh, to be politically correct. And that's what we're all about here is not being politically correct at the Suzanne Venker show. Well, you know, some things are eternal and uh, it doesn't matter what the culture does. There's some things that are right and some things that are wrong. One of them is that boys and girls are different, very different And um, many women, especially who are raised uh, without brothers, don't know that there is this vast difference. And they've been taught that the only differences between them is the ability to bear children. The truth of the matter is uh, a little boy in the womb is bombarded by testosterone that changes his brain. And the girls, of course, are bombarded by estrogen. And that is just makes the world a difference. And if you don't know that, then you wonder what's with these little boys? What's going on here? I don't understand him. Uh, Speaking of of, uh, how many women feel. So I wrote the book, Bringing Up Boys, and uh, that's been a very successful publication of mine. It's interesting that you brought up whether or not a person has been, I guess, raised with an opposite sex sibling is what you were getting at there, I think. And yeah, and I didn't actually, I just had a sister. And funny enough, both my parents just each had one sister. (laughs) So heavily female dominated in my home. And I absolutely did not have the education that I needed about what it means to be a man or even a boy. And I would say that I got that lesson up close and personal once I was married with a son. And then, boy, did I get (laughs) (laughs) I have heard this story so many times, I can't tell you. That is the common response. And the other side of that, uh, Suzanne, is that uh, boys need a man to tell them how to be masculine because their mother is not equipped to teach them that. So I agree wholeheartedly. We've talked about that on this program in the past. And one of the things I like to say and have said, I don't know if you would agree with this, but um, I believe that that a mom's job with a boy is pretty much done by the age of 12 or 13. And that's a little bit of extreme by saying done. But what I'm trying to say is that at that point, you become as the mom less of the profound influence and the man at that point of the father steps in and really becomes a huge force in the boy's life. And so I had to learn that that was kind of a hard lesson for me because I wasn't ready to let go for one thing. Um, But I learned very quickly that when my son wanted something, he was more likely to turn toward his father. And of course my daughter toward me. 
And I, again, had to learn this the hard way. And so I feel very strongly about it having once you see that up close, you can see it for yourself, which then gets into the tricky territory that people don't like to talk about, about single parenthood, of course. Uh, you know, Suzanne, uh, it starts a, a whole lot earlier than that. Uh, I'm sure you observed that in the very babyhood era, uh, a little boy is absolutely bonded to his mother. She is everything to him. And uh, the bond that occurs there stays with uh, him for life. And they often say that a soldier who is dying on a battlefield, uh, his last words are often mother uh, because that bond is so strong. But uh, between 18 months and five years of age, that transformation begins. It's often very threatening to a mother to see that she's losing something there in the relationship. It's because between those preschool uh, years and then after, uh, a boy really needs to begin to see that there are those and there are these, and I'm one of these. I remember when our son was five years of age, uh, we would get in the car to go to a restaurant, we'll say, and Ryan, our five-year-old, would say, and he didn't mean this in an insulting way. He said, hey, Dad, the girls are going to sit in the back seat, and I'm going to sit up here with you. It was his way. Uh, he wasn't lording it over mm -hmm. his sister. It was, his, it was saying, there's a difference between the two, and I'm one of those. There you go. Yep. And uh, therefore, uh, the mother really is often threatened by this and tries to hold on. And it's a mistake to do that. That transformation needs to take place. And if it doesn't, something is lost in his understanding of his sexual identity. Those That's controversial stuff, Suzanne, but development. I have a PhD in child development, and I'm telling you, that's what occurs. Oh, I don't disagree with you in the slightest. And I think that is probably one of, if not the biggest problems in our society today that people cannot, A, they don't know what you just said is true. And B, even if they did, they're not willing to talk about it because, of course, of the culture we live in, that if you want to deal with something and solve it, you've got to say things that are difficult, very difficult to hear. Yeah. There, there are two great developmental crises in a child's life, typically. Uh, we've just described the one for a boy. Uh, the second is adolescence. The girl only goes through the second one because she doesn't have to transfer from the relationship with the mother to the father. Mm -hmm. So th there's less uh, tension there early than there is for a boy. Uh, and of course, then they both go through a great crisis in the adolescent years when they're bombarded by different hormones. And one of the things I've heard you talk about, which I really liked and 100% agree with, is that if you don't want that adolescence to be difficult, which it is for so mm -hmm. many people, the best way to do that is to start building that relationship with your children from birth in the early years. You want to talk a little bit about that and how they're connected? A absolutely. Suzanne, it's really important to build a relationship of love and respect. You can't depend totally on 
uh, the strong, forceful discipline. That has to be there. My first book was called Dare to Discipline. I believe in it. But there has to be more than that. And um, one of my colleagues, Josh McDowell, said it better than I ever will. He said, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And when you get into the adolescent years, you have to have more than I told you so. That has to be there, but also to build a relationship. My parents did that and my father did that by uh, taking me uh, hunting with him. And things happened out there in the relationship between him and me that didn't happen anyplace else. In, in his showing respect for me and listening to me and talking to me. Uh, I tried to do that with my, uh, my own son. And then we, we found skiing, which was a wonderful way to build that relationship that I'm talking about. But both those ingredients have to be there. And if w- either one of them is missing, you've got trouble. This is one of the reasons why I love your books, because you can absolutely tell how committed you are to child development. Of course, that's how you started your whole career, I think. Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah. And and it, it's infused in your books with respect to not only how to raise children, but how to discipline them properly. And that love and bonding component to that, that is so integral to being able to discipline that if you've established that trust and respect, you actually don't end up with a lot of discipline problems. And I think because of the way parents raise their children today, so vastly different from the way it used to be, they're not connecting those dots. That if you're not there to do the work in the early years, number one, that if you insist on being their friends rather than their parent, these more modern ways of parenting are not going to work. And that's why you have so many problems in adolescence. That's what I tried to get at very, very early in my writing career. I mentioned my first book. Uh, On the cover was a little triangle, you might call it a fulcrum, with a line going across from left to right. And at the left side, at the end of the line was the word love. And at the right end is control. And the key to everything is getting that in balance. If you tip it too far to where you are mean and aggressive and constantly punishing and demeaning them and and all of that, uh, you create one kind of problem. Uh, But that tips the scale in the other direction. Uh, If you are so uh, loving, if you will, that it makes you become permissive and you don't really have the leadership that you need, you create another kind of problem and it tips back and forth. So getting those things in balance is one of the, the really important tasks of good parenting. Tell people what you meant in Dare to Discipline when you said that the secret to discipline is action, not anger. (laughs) You take me back a long ways. Uh, (laughs) That is so important. You know, uh, many people try to control by getting mad and they yell and they scream and they get mad and they threaten and all those kind of things. That does not work with children. They really don't care if you get angry. Uh, the same thing is true for us. If you're uh, driving a car and you're going too fast and the policeman stops you 
and he comes up and he doesn't have anything to do to you, but he can only yell at you. You just keep on driving. But it's when he takes out that little book and that notoriously unpleasant experience of getting a ticket takes place that you are influenced by what he has to say. It's the same way with children. Uh, when you say do something and they don't do it, you must take action not yelling and screaming. Screaming does not do any good. It's counterproductive. Uh, I used to be a school teacher before I went to the University of Southern California School of Medicine. And before that, I learned uh, very quickly how to control a class. And they didn't care if I got mad. There was an overweight teacher near me who thought that when the kids were out of control, what she needed to do was get up on the desk and blow a whistle at them. They loved it. They would plot at uh, break time about how to get her on that desk. It's when you take action, when you do things children don't want, uh, and it becomes clear that you are in control, that uh, things begin to smooth out. You just brought me back, Dr. Dobbs, and it sounds like you and I were both thrown into the fire <laughs> early on because I, too, taught middle school, junior high, and in the early years, that's my actual degree. We have that in common, Suzanne, because I taught junior high, too. And I was 24, <laughs> 25, somewhere in there, and wow, I mean, talk about um, being thrown to the wolves and sink or swim. You know, you're not going to come out of that uh, the same way than you that you started going in. You know, I absolutely love those kids. I missed them on a weekend, mm -hmm. which my wife never understood. And the last day of the school year, we both cried. I love those kids. And I love my kids. And it's important to get it right. And when you do it right, things go so much better. Okay, I want to back up a little bit. And I'm going to read something that you wrote that some might consider controversial, but I don't because I happen to agree with it. Um, <laughs> I can't remember where where I read this, so you can correct me if I got it wrong in any way. But you said, there is no issue today that is more significant to our culture than the defense of the family. Not even the war on terror eclipses it. So I guess I'm dating you just a bit. So this must have been right when everything was going down with um, you know, the war on terror. So not that that's over, but I mean, maybe we were in the throes of it when you said that. But I couldn't agree more that everything begins with the breakdown of the family, which I think is how I initially found you um, all those years ago. And there's just not a lot of people out there who are willing to not only admit that and say that, but to address it full throttle. And I, I can't think of anyone who has more than you. You know, the, the culture has been at war with the family for as long as I can remember. And it is really why I got into this field in the first place. I knew it when I was in college, and that's been a long mm -hmm. time ago, where I shared with my friends, the family is in trouble and we need to do what we can to make a difference. And that was before graduate school, it was before the university and all of those things that preceded it, um, because the family is under attack and it is the ground floor, it's the foundation the entire culture sits on that, mm -hmm. and it has for 5,000 years. Our institutions, our government, our way of life, everything depends on the next generation. 
depends on the stability of the family. And if you undermine it and if you weaken it, and if you make it difficult for it to function as our government does, and as the media and the culture at large, then and the whole superstructure can come down. And that's what's happening now. The family is falling apart, uh, especially in the inner city. You think of these kids that are raised without fathers and their their greatest influence are the gangs that are around them. It's disaster. The family is intended as a two-person job. Now, it doesn't always work that way. Marriages do break up and people find themselves raising kids alone. Uh, but that's the way it was intended and the way it works best. And uh, so I have very passionate you can hear it in my voice. I have mm-hmm. very passionate concerns about the stability of the family. I could talk more, but this yes. this is a hot button for me. I, I know. And I want to talk about it. I think one of the things, so people often ask, when did that shift occur? And I'm always pointing to the 70s and what happened there. And I found something that you said, and I think we think the same. I have to get that out right. Um, as far as this goes, you said the ideas that were spawned in the 70s are deeply ingrained in the culture, even though they've never made any sense. <laughs> it's just such a simple way of saying something so true and obvious, but just in simple form. And I think you were referring, it's, I didn't write any more there, but I think that's when you were talking about this idea that men and women are the same, essentially. And when you think about that message that spawned from the feminist movement, not that men and women are equal in value, which is what we say here, but that they are the same and that any differences you see between them is just a social construct. When you think about the fallout of that simple message and where we are today, that is where, in my opinion, it all began. Uh, Suzanne, I'm um, considerably older than you, and it goes back before the 70s. The 60s were a disaster the late 60s, where everything traditional, everything that represented authority, everything that represented what I consider to be the biblical mandate with regard to uh, human life, uh, all went awry. The sexual revolution came out of there, and we're still dealing with that today. Uh, In 1969, if you can believe this, uh, Congress in its great wisdom decided that those who are raising children, those who are feeding and caring for and medicating their kids and making school lunches and binding up scratched knees, those that are investing themselves in that enormous effort to raise the next generation properly, those people that are doing that should pay higher taxes than those who are living together without benefit of marriage. And believe it or not, that became the law of the land that families would be in a higher tax bracket. It's called a marriage penalty tax. Would you believe that that continued uh, after that to the Nixon era, the Ford era, uh, Carter, Reagan, Clinton, uh, Herbert Walker Bush, and all the way up to George W. Bush, who's the first one uh, to change that. And then, of course, uh, Barack Obama rolled it back to where it was. 
So the family has been in the crosshairs. It's been discriminated against. Mm -hmm. uh, why our government did not understand that everything depends on the strength of that family. But in so many ways, not only this one, but others, it has been discriminated against. And the courts have made decisions that were untenable. And then, of course, the feminist movement came along and it was the coup de grace, uh, which is what you've written about. Yeah. So it's been going on for a long time. And the family now is struggling mightily to survive. And marriages getting more to specifically to what I see every day with my coaching. I mean, if you just talk about marriage moved away from the family per se, just just marriage itself, we know that marriage rates are down. And this has pretty much been in the last few years when there was just another study recently, I don't have in front of me showing this as well. And so much of it has to do with the messages, in my opinion, again, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, that boomers sold to their millennial children. And let me explain what I mean by that, because this is what I deal with mostly with my work, is this message that marriage is optional in life. You know, you might want to do it. You might not. You might want to have children. You might not. But the number one thing you should be focusing on is your education and your career. And of course, this message is specifically given mostly to women because men are falling behind yeah. in school and they're given no thought whatsoever to marriage and motherhood so that they map out their life. This is all they ever hear from day one as though they are literally going to be in the workforce constantly their whole life and they don't make space in advance for marriage and motherhood. So they get stuck down the road pretty much in their 30s going, oh, I forgot to get married, right? And then all of a sudden their options are limited. And they even if they do find a spouse, they have a really difficult time with the marriage relationship because they've spent 10 years yeah. of their life living solely for themselves. Yeah, I said at the start of our conversation, Suzanne, that I like the way you think. And I certainly agree with what you just said. And we don't take into account how important the next generation is. That's a human family, and we must give them priority. Gary Bauer and I wrote a book in 1990 called Children at Risk, and we were very, very concerned about what's happening to the next generation and that their parents were uh, often overworked and exhausted and distracted and uninvolved. And these children are growing up around their feet and they hardly know their names. And uh, exactly what you just described is what we talked about. Those kids that we were discussing then are today's millennials. And they were deprived of the kind of upbringing and teaching that uh, certainly I enjoyed and everybody I knew enjoyed. The mother was absolutely committed to her kids. Yes, they may work outside the family, but they made time and effort to care for and raise their children properly. And then the fathers were also very much involved. And, you know, children need dads just as much as they need their mothers. And of course, with divorce, we know that it is really boys more so than girls who bear the brunt yeah. of that. Um, certainly, certainly daughters need their fathers, no question. But there's a special issue with boys because 
and again, don't I don't know your position on this, but girls in a divorce typically still have their same sex parent because mothers are largely still in charge of the kids. And the sons lose that daily contact with their same sex parent. So let's talk for a moment about that vital role that fathers play and what happens when that relationship has been broken with a son as a result of, and if you want to talk about daughters too, that's oh. fine too, um, as a result of divorce or, you know, in father absence. Uh, it has a devastating effect on both sexes in a different way. <clears throat> the boys uh, grow up often uh, without a real understanding of what it means to be a man. Uh, how a man thinks, what his responsibilities are, all of the things that you have just talked about. Um, girls need their fathers as much as boys, but in a different way. Uh, for girls, the relationship with the father is critical to self-esteem. Uh, people are going to find this objectionable. I'm sorry, it's just my observation that when a father walks into a room a girl's eyes light up. Uh, he is important to her in a different way. He's the first male to show her respect, if he does, to kiss her, to hold her, to call her his little girl, and building her self-worth. Uh, there's something that she gets from her father that she does not get from her mother. They operate in a different arena, and uh, you take the father out of the picture. Uh, speaking of boys again, uh, I often have um, single mothers say to me, I hear what you say, but what do I do about it? And the only answer is that you have to have a male substitute, uh, whether it's an uncle or a coach or a teacher or a neighbor or somebody that will show a boy what it means to be a man and teach him the way men think. Um, this this matter of the family is absolutely critical. This is human beings. This is what we believe and what we the the difference we make in the culture. Uh, so I can't overstate that too much. And the result now with divorce today, again, going back to millennials, because they are right now between the ages of 25 and 40, and we're essentially based on what we were just talking about, you have boy men who are walking around. They're saying, where have all the men gone? Because they won't grow up and they're still boys because so many of them lacked a father in their life. The women, as you say, cannot be, well, I'm taking it a step further, but based on that self-esteem and that broken relationship and not seeing what a good man looks like are at a loss as to what men are even about, like what where their role is with a man. And so that's it should be no surprise that their marriages are um, strained and not working out because they really are. It's like they're shooting blanks, basically. Yeah, that is so well said, because what is a girl to do? She has that ache inside for a relationship with her father. If he's abusive, if he rejects her, uh, what's a girl to do? She is going to look for it someplace else. And sometimes she finds somebody that doesn't have the right motives in the relationship. And sometimes she finds a guy who is himself disturbed and uh, not a real role model uh, provider. So everybody loses when marriage breaks up. 
I, I hate to say that because there's so many people whose marriages didn't make it and they don't need me telling them that they've made a mistake. I'm just saying that there are some absolutes here that if it doesn't work that way, you have to compensate for it. No question. No question. Suzanne, uh, I understand that you have two teenagers. Is that right? Well, now one wouldn't want to be called a teenager anymore. She's 20. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, the other one is 17. Uh, describe your experience in motherhood, especially in the teen years. What comes to mind when I ask you, what were those years like for you? So thank you for asking that. This kind of goes back to what we were saying before about how you raise your children early on so that later on you have fewer problems. My husband and I have raised our children very counterculturally from day one, very much so, to the point where we would get flack sometimes. And that was fine. But by doing that, we firmly believe that they have become the phenomenal kids that they are, one son, one daughter, because of it. And so I'm a big proponent of encouraging people to raise their children pretty much the opposite of every way the culture is telling you to do it, um, which yeah. sometimes will mean going against what your friends are doing or what your family is doing. So like, just as an example, my 17 year old son, he's a senior. He had his first date a couple of weeks ago and he has been raised by a strong father and a very strong message. This is how you treat women. And it's very old school. We watched, they grew up watching the Waltons and little house and all of those, um, messages were instilled in them their whole lives. So it would never occur to him to treat a girl anything less than she should be. So he picked her up the old fashioned way. He goes up and knocks on the door and talks with the parents, the whole nine yards. And he calls her, he doesn't text her and <laughs> just very old school way of dating. And I think that people will say, well, how did you do that? Well, it's not really rocket science or magic. It's just being aware of that as you said at the beginning, Dr. Dobson, some things just don't change and they are a part of how we interact as humans. And just because the culture says to do it the other way doesn't mean you have to follow suit. So go ahead and do things the old fashioned way. You can create mm -hmm. a child who will become a strong, healthy, independent, um, respectful adult if you just don't do what people are doing today. <laughs> you know, I, I knew that would be your answer. I could tell that from the way you have spoken today and when you were on my program. You have a traditional perspective toward child rearing and toward the family. And that's what I like about you. Uh, you uh, have somewhere, I don't know where the role model came for you, but for my mother, she got it from my grandmother and my great-grandmother, and it was passed on from generation to generation. About uh, a generation ago, uh, people began losing confidence in what they had been taught traditionally, and they began looking to experts to tell them what to do, and they mm -hmm. didn't follow their own uh, common but, sense yeah. in raising children. I consider what you just described as absolutely common sense about how to do things. And yet we're just off into never, never land with the things that don't work. And people want to label that as being uh, conservative or, or give it some other name. Well, it's not that I'm not per se. It's just that that's not even the right word. My husband says exactly what you just say. It's not conservative. It's just common sense. <laughs> it is for a fact. 
And uh, if you go back uh, 75 years, the experts began saying things that were ridiculous. Uh, I won't even start to to describe them, but I could because we have departed from uh, traditional wisdom. I think it has a biblical base, and that's my orientation, but it still works, and it still makes sense. And I don't believe in messing with anything that works. <laughs> <laughs> that's my theory. <laughs> I have enjoyed talking to you today. you got a new book coming, don't you? I do. So it just came out a about a month ago. It's my first time creating a book completely separate from my publishing company and from Amazon. I'm just selling directly on my website now. I have a shop page. So it's very exciting after five books of uh, you know, doing it the traditional way. It's called How to Be a Wife, Seven Secret Steps to a Peaceful and Passionate Relationship with Your Man. You'll get some flack on that, won't you? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But see, it follows the coaching that I do. I work with wives who are practically giving up on their marriages because they were just never taught how to bring out the best in a man so that you can get the strong marriage that you want. And you just have to get out of your head and out of that cultural place to be able to absorb the information. And typically when people are realizing that what they're doing is not working, that's when they, that's pretty much when they call me. Although I will say, Dr. Dobson, I do offer premarital counseling. I, it's not counseling. It's, it's coaching. It's a four session coaching package for newly married couples that I'd like to spend more time on rather than getting the people 10 years in after they're really having a hard time. So I'm going to try and focus more on pumping that up. Well, you have got to be on my program now to talk about that book. Excellent. Would love to do that. Really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the um, opportunity to chat with you today. Is there anything else we need to talk about? No, that's all I had. So I know people are going to get a lot out of this. It's been wonderful talking with you. Really great hearing from you again. I can't say I can see you, but I love talking with you <laughs> after um, all these years. And thank you for joining us. Um, it's been very instructive. We'll do it again. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Dobson. Blessings. When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. And the email of today is from Sophie. Hi, Suzanne. Wanted to let you know that you have at least one listener at the age of 29. I think I have a few more, but she's right. It's always interesting when I get the 20-somethings. I wanted to say you're making a huge difference. After finding you in December, we've realized how much I've emasculated my husband and how our lifestyle 
me working and he being mostly at home with the kids was not 100% satisfying to either of us. Now I'm home and my husband works a lot more, bringing in almost all of our money, and we're both loving it. The more we move into this new rhythm, the more we realize how programmed we've been by the culture. I'm Swedish and grew up in the extreme feminist culture we have here. I think my husband found you and said, this person explains what I've been trying to tell you for years. You have made me understand myself better, my husband better, and open our eyes to another aspect when it comes to our children's upbringing, since we have both a son and a daughter. Thank you for all you do. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much, Sophie. I get so many emails, and I've sort of committed myself now to try to um, bring them out into the light as much as possible so that other people can hear what's really going on out there. And that ends this hour of The Suzanne Banker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk with forensic accountant Tiffany Couch about money and shame. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Banker Show in the Facebook search bar and you will find it. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or a comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.